And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I'll stop yelling in just a moment. I'm just, I get excited about these programs. I love doing these programs and talking with our guests and seeing where they're coming from and what they have to offer in terms of new choices for a new world, those new paradigms, if you will. Uh, looking for those new ways of living. I say it every time when I use that phrase. The old ways don't work. Just look around you. They are not working for everybody. Now, some would say, oh, Richard, you're thinking about a utopia. It doesn't exist. You want to write Disney? Go right ahead. But uh, it's not going to happen. Well, I disagree. I think it can happen, but not in the context of what you might think of as a utopia. Uh, I think that it can happen in the context of being fair, being kind, valuing self, and in turn valuing others. We're going to talk about that as we discuss today with our very special guest. And I have to tell you that when these kinds of programs come around, you know I love these conversations. If we're not talking, my guest is going to wonder where I'm going with this. If we're not talking about death and dying which is one of those uh, subjects that's near and dear to my heart because we don't talk about it enough. It's too, people are still too afraid. You don't need to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, it has to do with uh, what some might consider, and we're going back to the 60s and 70s maybe, the battle of the sexes. We're not talking about a battle here. We're talking about not just equality, but equanimity. Rima... Bonario is my guest. Rima has written a book called The Seven Queendoms. It is a soul map for embodying sacred feminine sovereignty. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's great to have you with us. I can't tell you how much I have been looking forward to this. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm delighted to be here and have this wonderful conversation with you. I tell you, this conversation needs to be have be needs to uh, be going on all the time. It really does, along with the other subject I mentioned before as well, and then, and then many other subjects as well. Um, somehow, some way, uh, there's a part of me that is. Oh, I, I I and that sounds a little like an exasperated sigh, and in a way, it is. Because I've gotten to the point in my life, I'm only 62. I'm not asking you to tell me how old you are, but um, I am exasperated with the, I'll call them the stereotypic roles that men and women are almost required to participate in. I always go back to the one in particular, Valentine's Day. Give me a break. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't love my wife. doesn't mean that at all. It means that I don't need to have a, some special day set aside, some would say, by the greeting card manufacturers uh, to express that. Um, do I hold the door open for my wife? You bet I do. I do that. It's just because it's what I do. It's not something that's expected of me. It's just what I do. Uh, do I t speak ill of her in uh, to her uh, in front of her or behind her back? I certainly hope I don't. 
And if somebody hears me doing that, they better call me on it because that ain't right either. And then, uh, Rima, I think that one of the other things, too, in our media, specifically in news, uh, in uh, movies and television, is that gamesmanship that is showed where each of the partners is trying to get one up on the other. I don't remember my parents ever doing that. You know, and my dad was never treated as a dumb oaf who didn't know what the hell he was doing. Uh, I'm not saying that my mother didn't sort of kind of run the household because, you know, who would you go to when you were in trouble or you had a problem? You went to mom because she was going to be more sympathetic. She's the nurturer. His dad, the belt. All right, young man, you know, talk to us. A little off the beaten track of sorts, but I want to talk about the subject of sovereignty. That's a big issue right now for a lot of people from so many different perspectives. What is it that you're talking about in regards to sovereignty and service? Well, sovereignty is the sensation that we have supreme authority over ourselves, that we're free from outside influence and we have um, the ability to be in a state of self-governance. And this is comes back to some of the things you were talking about just now in these power struggles that happen in couples and in the larger conversation that's going on sometimes around us and in Hollywood or television in the way men and women relate to each other. But the fact is that the lack of self-sovereignty happens in all kinds of relationships, in our relationships with our boss or with our children sometimes. It can happen with our friends, as well as with those people that we might be involved in romantic relationships with. And how this connects to service is that I believe, and through my own personal experience and my work with my students, that the more we're able to be in that state of authentic self-governance, where we're, we've done the deep inner work to know who we really are and to get free from some of the old wounds and conditioning that have got us running with the tail, wagging the dog. When we can get free from all of that and be in a state of sovereignty, we're better able to be of service to the world. We're better able to create a world where we are caring about other people as well as ourselves. We have bandwidth to do that. And we are wanting everyone to have a sense of their own sovereignty. And that's so important right now, rather than having these power struggles where someone's trying to get control over someone else. Oh, I've lost your audio. You bring up an interesting observation on my part. Um, as most people in this country know, not too long ago, <clears throat> our Supreme Court uh, made a ruling that basically uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. And now, and of course, the big issue is sovereignty, state sovereignty over federal sovereignty. And I'm sitting here going, uh, okay, so when does it come to individual sovereignty? I'm not taking sides on the issue uh, that the Supreme Court ruled on. I'm saying... 
how is it that the states can start to pass all of these different laws now that this ruling has been overturned from 1973 and yet they're ignoring the sovereignty of the individuals that live in their own states? I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed by that. And there are many other laws and statutes and rulings that exist. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, you know, it's like, um, I, I, every time I talk about the issue of driving, oh, Richard, driving's a privilege. So if you are going to drive, you have to wear your seatbelt. It's the law. And you have to stop at red lights. It's the law. And you have to stop at red uh, stop signs. It's the law. And you have to go at green lights. And you have to do this and you have to do that. And yet I see people all the time saying, I don't care. I'm, I'm going on through. Red, green, or blue. I don't care. Um, well, what you bring up is a really, really interesting tension between people wanting to be in self-sovereignty or thinking what they're doing is about sovereignty and how we have to live as a community where we need to be in community and we need to think about how our actions impact others and this is a really natural tension and it's not going away because we need both of these things we need to have personal agency and a sense of personal power and we also need to have care and concern for our communities and for how we relate together as a group and so what we're seeking i think that in 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 the work that i do is to help people go inward and look at their own reasons for why they want to flout a law or push back against a law or why they want to pass a law that that um, restricts somebody else's choices and 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 come to understand inside ourselves why is this causing me to get upset what is this touching what is this uh, creating fear for me how is this causing me to have fear or panic or concern and then do that inner work to resolve what might have nothing to do with the current situation and once we can get free of that backlog of old stuff, we can have a more productive conversation about this natural tension and try to find some common ground where we can come to a place where we can have respect for our communities and respect for each other at the same time. Yeah, and that seems to be something that's really hard to come by these days is respect. I've come to this conclusion, and uh, I'll love to have your input on this. Uh, I refuse to have tolerance for anyone. However, I will accept everyone. I may not agree with where you're coming from economically, religiously, philosophically, sexually, uh, educationally. I don't have to. That's, that's not why I'm here, to agree with you. But I accept you as a member of the human race, as a member of our community. You have a role here just like I do. That's why I think uh, the word tolerance needs to be changed because there's too much energy. There's, when you use the word tolerance, there's judgment in there. I, well, I'm gonna, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know very many people who enjoy being tolerated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's, not, I, it's not actually a very nice compliment. No, it's to not. To say, well, I'll tolerate you. Yeah. Um, 
really, I think you're right. We're, we're talking about kindness. We're talking about sensitivity. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about community. And um, we don't, here's the thing about sovereignty. When you're actually in your truest, deepest, most authentic version of sovereignty, which comes from the connection to what I call my soul or your higher self, something bigger than our ego, that form of sovereignty is never in competition with anybody else's form of sovereignty. So you don't have to be in this situation where you need to have everybody believe what you believe or act the way you you want them to act. We can have space mm -hmm. for people to be unique, for people to be in their own experiences and we can re we can recognize that every one of us is on a healing journey even yeah. if we don't know it yeah. every single human is here to grow and to heal and those journeys can sometimes be incredibly difficult and yes we need to have the ability to set boundaries and we can do that in a loving way and yes we need to have the ability to decide how to keep people safe and and we can also call people up into the best versions of themselves rather than trying to you know knock everybody down and pass a lot of judgment and cancel people out for making mistakes we need to learn to be better at helping people recover from mistakes rather than be ostracized from yeah. by mistakes we're talking with uh, Rima Bonario and her book is of course entitled the Seven Queendoms. It will soon be on HBO as a sequel to the throne, Game of Thrones. That's what it kind of sounds like, in a way, you know. It really does. Well, um, but we're talking about uh, we're talking about a throne, but it's an inner throne. An inner throne, and yeah. we're going to continue that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a really a pleasure to have Rima with us here on the program. Uh, Rima, um, as you mentioned um, just before I made the comments there, uh, that it's an inner throne. Um, that seems to be the case with just about every guest that we've been talking with over the last few years, specifically when we declared in September of 2019 uh, the year, at that time it was, the year of perfect vision 2020. And then when we hit 2021, it became the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where we encouraged people where we were going to find that perfect vision. You got to go within. Going within in that to the quiet, still, peaceful, calm place and listen to that still small voice. Talk to us about now, as you've described it now, in addition to the still small voice and that quiet, peaceful place, there's a throne. I didn't even know that. Talk to us a little bit about that, will you please? Well, I, I look at it like owning, we, owning our power. And this is a challenge, I think, especially it's something I think women in particular have, have had challenges with and in, in that there have been you know, it's not actually that recently that we've been invited into some of the halls of power in, in our nation and in the world. There's still many, many countries where women are not invited into places of leadership. And, um, and so looking at the queen as an archetype, as a healing journey, has been a really powerful experience for myself and the women that I work with because it invites us into owning our personal power 
And sometimes that's a bit of a challenge because we look out in the world and we see a lot of abuse of power. Yeah. And so some people have sort of, you know, washed their hands of it and say, I don't know, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't really want to, I don't really want to own my power because I don't trust it. I don't trust this idea of power. But that form of power that we look at that's so abused is really a desire to have power over people and true sovereignty and working with that inner throne is about having power with and working with others working with ourselves so that we raise things up for the common good and and so Seeking to sit on your own throne means that you're no longer going to abdicate the responsibility you have for being the the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. It means that you're going to take responsibility for taking good care of yourself and not expect someone else to come along and do that. It means being willing to be vulnerable and to look at the places where we need to grow and shift and change and that can be that can be scary for people and so having a guidebook and a group of people or a trusted advisor that can support you in that process is helpful to say the least mm. i i i've been hearing some comments from some women in politics for example uh, part of me feels as though the reason why they're saying what they're saying uh, following their respective primary victories is not because it's what they believe. It's because they want to belong. And in order to belong, you've got to say the right words. And this particular woman that I was listening to, I'm not going to say Republican or Democrat, was basically saying that our founding fathers, uh, she doesn't believe in and is going to, is, doesn't care about the whole aspect of separation of church and state. That nowhere does it say anything about that uh, in our Constitution. And, of course, the commentator who was showing this bit was saying, well, apparently this woman has not read the First Amendment to the Constitution or Article 6 of the Constitution. Now, this is just one case in point where in this case, it was a woman, and this is what we're talking about here. I don't believe she's living in her own power, that she is trying to get power from outside herself by saying the right things. Um, well, what you're, what you're seeing happening now in, in this swing, um, this pressure that you named earlier of certain I mean, we can we can name it right that we have a particular group of very strict Christian thought mm -hmm. that says this is how you're supposed to live and everyone should live this way. And if you live in this country, you should live this way. Mm -hmm. And you know most people know that's not what this country was founded on it was actually founded on a desire to escape religious persecution where people weren't free to practice their version of their commitment and um their connection to the divine and so when you when i hear someone speaking like that what i'm aware of i like to look through the lens of archetypes and archetypal energy because i find that very helpful as it relates to understanding what's going on in our world and so the, we're talking about a type of energy that's a, a very patriarchal father strong father energy it's a masculine energy 
versus a more mo nurturing mother. You talked about that earlier, the nurturing mother energy. And, um, and so that a lot of the faith traditions come through that doorway of we need to line up in front of the very strong father energy because people in general can't be trusted to do the right thing or to make the right choices and if we're too soft on them they'll they'll go off the rails right yeah. and and so you have a, a dynamic where you've got a group of people who are who are moving from a place of fear that says if we don't get everybody to line up in this very strict way of thinking under our particular umbrella then everything's going to fall off the rails and people will badly misbehave and a lot of things bad things will happen when when there's really not great evidence of that sometimes we've had some of the worst actors coming out of that very line of thinking of we're going to get everybody in line and and you know they've used everything under the sun to get everybody in line including incredible violence and genocide and other kinds of things in the name of god and so when i look at that i just i feel a lot of sadness and i understand where that particular viewpoint is coming from but it's designed to keep people in a particular way of living that really they don't have the right to impose on other people and again I come back to this idea of of our own sovereignty and how we need to find that place within ourselves and mind ourselves rather than being out there trying to mind other people yeah we're talking with uh, Rima uh, Bonario and uh, she has a book that uh, you may want to check out and it is of course the seven queendoms we're going to talk about those seven queendoms uh, here on the program as we continue, because we want to find out more about that. Uh, RimaBonario.com. That's RimaBonario.com. And again, uh, we are uh, we started out, of course, uh, talking about sovereignty and service. We'll talk a little more too about uh, shadow work uh, as a path for healing uh, ancestral uh, internal. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, shadow work as a path for healing and. Ancestry Internal Guidance, uh, accessing, I'm, I'm reading it wrong, accessing internal guidance as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host here on Tell Me Your Story, and I'm trying to access some internal guidance myself to, to continue moving forward. Where do I get that? I go within. I listen to that still small voice and I do my best. Um, when I talk about maybe my perspectives on things, I do try to, I, I don't say I couch it in. I put it in the context of these are my observations. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying this is what I'm observing, observing right now. Uh, as I mentioned to you before we started, I, I grew up in a, I, I don't want to say it was a matriarchal arrangement, a family. Uh, but, you know, kind of hard not to when you have a mother, four sisters, a father, and one brother. Uh, we, were, we were outnumbered, but we were, never feel, we, were, we were never made to feel out of place. It was, it was not that kind of a situation. There was no effort to control and contrive situations and what have you. Uh, I always saw my parents as, as partners working together. 
that is really the crux of all of this when it comes to talking about sovereignty and service, talking about the seven queendoms. Uh, uh, People seem to have the wrong idea about, for example, the Equal Rights Amendment that has been around since at least the 1970s. I remember when they were trying to get it passed, the ERA, and uh, I don't think it ever has been passed. I'm, I'm not sure. But a lot of people uh, who were opposed to it, and a lot of women who were opposed to it, thought it was uh, a way for women to take over. And just they just wanted equanimity. Not necessarily equality, but equanimity. And there's a difference. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Well, I think sometimes there's a fear when um, people are asking to be allowed to have their rights to be treated with equanimity that that if people are given more power whether that's people of color or women whomever that have traditionally been marginalized and traditionally not held the power that they're somehow going to want to get even when they get into power so it becomes kind of scary and because we've had this conditioning where we've needed to line up behind this very powerful father sort of archetypal energy the idea that we could actually create a more nurturing more loving more egalitarian society can feel scary to people and I just bring it back to the need for us to do our own inner work so that we're ready for that responsibility. We're ready for that shared community, shared power. And we are ready to craft something that can serve everyone. And, you know, we're going to have these conversations as the tide continues to turn and I think it's going to keep turning in this direction because from an evolutionary standpoint we're at we're at a place now where the challenges facing us as a human family are not the kind that they used to be it's going to require incredible cooperation you can't just kill your way out of a pandemic you can't kill your way out of nuclear war you have to cooperate and find common ground and be in a uh, have a capacity to negotiate over these very difficult situations and um, I just I think that we need more of what the feminine energy has to offer and that's why I've written this book about how to access the archetype of the queen in order to um, get some of this more feminine energy and it's not I mean we all have masculine feminine energies within us whether we're male embodied or female embodied so I'm not saying this is about throwing out the guys I am a big fan of men and I think that we need our men and we actually need masculine energy it's the energy that gets things done Mm -hmm. that moves things forward however we also need the feminine energy that allows us to have rest and restoration and an opportunity to actually bring nurturing into the space. Men need that every bit as much as women need that. Our children need that. 
And we need to create spaces where we have the ability to access both of these energies. And in fact, it's the feminine energy and its ability to connect to that still small voice within and to hear that intuitive guidance that needs to direct the outward energy. We have go inward first, which is the feminine principle of moving inward, so that we can then move outward with intention and with strategy and with thought rather than just racing off with no plan. Mm. Well, and that does seem to be what we've just been constantly doing for, um, I'm going to say, centuries. We, we rush off. I, I, matter of fact, I, I, I just heard the other day uh, complaints uh, in regards to, uh, in regards to um, the way in which our current administration is handling the economic crisis and that they're using the same strategies as, uh, as, uh, as before. And I'm sitting here going, uh, yeah, and your guy who was in the office uh, in 2007, 2008, did exactly the same thing. And they were even saying, we've never been here before, but we're going to use the same solutions we've always used. How do you do that? They don't fit. They don't work. And that's why we're going to round two uh, in the 21st century. <laughs> in less than 20 years, we're doing it all over again. It appears. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but uh, that's, you know, that seems to be the, the, the commonplace. And that the men are the one who have been in charge all this time. Now, that's not to say, Rima, that if women were in charge, none of this would have been happening. But I would think that if women were brought in as part of the collaborative, cooperative force, we might have a, a much better for all outcome than what some people are predicting, uh, those people being uh, our economists who uh, Will Rogers once said, uh, you can lay a hundred economists end to end and they will all point in different directions. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough thing. I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be the person in charge of figuring out the way which lever to pull when. It's, it's <laughs> you know, it's a it's a rough and very complex scenario. We are living in a very very complex world right now. And this is why we need these two energies to come together because there are times when we need command and control, direct action, and there's times when we need a more networked approach where we're in a long-term recovery scenario and we need to be able to pull together resources and and work with those resources in a way that's shared and it's a little bit um, tricky to say that you know men are better at this and women are better at that Generally speaking, there's some truth to that, in part because of our biology, because of the way we run energy. Men have a little bit easier access to that direct uh, action. It, it charges them and it, it fills their energy body up. Um, and doing more cooperative, more communicative actions and activities actually drains the, the male energy body. Whereas for, for the female energy body, 
being in joint scenarios where we are creating connections, where we're building networks, where we're in cycles of nourishment and rest and nurturance and dynamic leadership, that actually fills the female energy body. And a lot of direct action um, will, will drain the, the female energy body. And so when you look out at the world and you see that we have leaders, whether they're men or women, they can both be acting in these very masculine ways or they can both act in feminine ways. It's really more about those two words are not describing gender at all. They're not describing sex. They're describing energies mm -hmm. and outward focused energy versus an inward focused energy. And they work together. We need both. We need them to work together. And so when we when we talk about our leaders and our leadership, whether we're leading ourselves, leading our families or leading a nation, we really want to have access to both of these kinds of energies so that we can we can think through it and see, well, when is the time we need to take this direct action and when is the time we need to be more collaborative? And that's when we're going to get the best results, when we're able to, to actually take make use of all of the power that's available to human beings instead of just preferencing one so much that we diminish and disregard the other. And so we're in a time right now where this need for balance is more, it's it's never been more crucial than it is right now. So, so you'll hear a lot of, we're having a lot of women writers coming out talking about this need for feminine energy to be more part of the conversation. There's a, it's really kind of in vogue right now to do the different goddess trainings and things like that. And that's a lot of fun. And I certainly enjoy that for myself and in my personal world as well. And this, this is really meat and potato stuff here. It's not airy fairy stuff. It's really about how do we as women, because we've got greater access to, to feminine energy, how do we own our own feminine power? Where do we find models for feminine power? What does it even look like? How does it mm. act? What does it, what does it choose? And begin to be in the process of making space for that so that we've got some balance and can bring some balance to the way we're leading ourselves, our families, and, and our world. Rima Benario is my guest here on the program. We're going to dive into the seven uh, archetypes, if you will, of the seven queendoms as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have, uh, oh, why the heck not, our queen, uh, Rima uh, she's going to share with us the seven queendoms, and we're going to go down the list of them because I think it's important to take a look at these. These are like archetypes. I will I will just share a brief, really, real, real quick uh, uh, experience that I had with a gentleman who was sort of uh, at the time the uh, the f I don't know if he was necessarily the founder, but maybe one of the originators or what have you of the modern men's movement, uh, Robert Bly. And he was coming to Santa Barbara, and so I put in a request to interview him. And he turned me down. And he said, because I don't want to answer the same old questions about, well, when does a boy become a man, and da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, well, obviously you haven't listened to too many of my interviews because, yeah, maybe that might have been some of my questions. And if you didn't want to answer them, you could just say so. Um... And it and, and and 
we used uh, in I had a men's group in 1993, and I've been here since 2006. So this was after I moved here. Uh, a men's group, and we used Iron John as our sort of primer, and we would read through it. And eventually, we started doing hikes around the Phoenix area where I was living at the time. And uh, we came across the phrase catabasis, or the bottoming out, if you will. Is there something similar archetypally for women, or is it the same word, the same concept, if you will, uh, uh, the bottoming out of one's life to where there is no place else to go but up? Yeah, I, I call it the wall. The wall, okay. But ha what happens for us if we've been operating in the world that's the, the world has been that we are currently inhabiting has been created by men for men. So it works energetically very well for the for male embodied people most of the time. Although th there's also a lot of cost that's happening because of course there's some need for rest and recovery for men as well naturally. But for women it's particularly hard on the body. And so we'll get into the working environments and sometimes we'll hear from our counterparts, why are you complaining about these 60, 80 hour weeks? I mean, it's, we do it and it's fine and it's no big deal. But after a number of years, I mean, we just hit a wall where there's a kind of exhaustion that comes in because of what I was speaking about earlier, that that, that kind of activity without also receiving drains our bodies. and. And so there, people get afraid of having this conversation where we talk about these differences. Like, I'm not saying women can't perform as equally as well as men. I'm saying that equanimity, as you described it earlier, and equality in the workplace would mean that we would have respect for those differences and those differences would be encouraged and allowed because while we may not want to go balls to the wall for 80 hours a week, although I don't know a lot of guys who want to do that either, um, we can bring other things to the table that are currently missing, like work-life balance, like the need for us to make sure people are being well cared for. The whole wellness movement sort of is coming up out of this recognition that we can't burn people out anymore. And, and women in particular have, have hit those walls and then we lose lose them, we lose their skills, we lose their competencies in the workplace when they have to leave. We see women in droves leaving the corporate world to start their own businesses because there they can take care, better care of themselves. And I love that. I've done that myself. That was my own path. And what I love to teach women is tools, techniques, and strategies for how we can stay engaged at all levels of leadership, governance, and you know, in the economic world, and in our own families, and in our own lives, while still nourishing us and nurturing ourselves, taking good care of ourselves so that we've filled our well and we're giving from a place of luscious overflow mm -hmm. rather than from an empty well. We're gonna talk about the grounded, Passionate, empowered, loving, impressive, expressive, visionary, and divine queens as we continue our conversation with our very special guest who has written the book The Seven Queendoms, of which I have just uh, uh, mentioned, right here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, along with uh, uh, Rima, and Rima is going to share with us Rima uh, Bonario. And uh, we're going to talk about each one of these uh, briefly just to give you a little idea 
I, I, I think that as I think that the grounded queen is probably and seems pretty obvious the best place to start because that's really where most human beings need to start uh, on their way to their path, their purpose, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in fostering uh, both a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health and well-being. Yeah. So each of these queens has a different domain that she oversees, and I. I when I was looking at my own sovereignty and embracing and embodying this queen archetype and the archetypal energy of the queen, it it was easier for me to break it out. So the grounded queen oversees physical sovereignty, which has to do with our body and our uh, physical life. The passionate queen oversees sexual sovereignty. The empowered queen is all about energetic sovereignty. The loving queen is about emotional sovereignty. The expressive queen is about our dharma, which is our natural gifts and our medicine for the world, our service work in the world, how we express ourselves. The visionary queen, she oversees mental sovereignty, and the divine queen is all about spiritual sovereignty. And when I when I looked at my life and broke it apart like that in each of those areas, what I discovered was that some of those areas I was doing pretty well in. And others, I was not doing well in at all. And I didn't feel sovereign. I didn't feel that I was free from outside influence and that I was in a place of authentic authority in that area in my life. And so I went on this journey to see what exercises, what activities, what questions needed to be asked that would help me move more into a place of sovereignty in each of those areas in my life. Well, um it's there's this has been nagging in the back of my mind and I have made it a point never to ignore those nagging thoughts in the back of my mind. It's usually the voice saying, you know, you need to address this. And I did that once and it wouldn't go away. And I did 30 minutes beyond uh, uh, that point uh, when it first started. And I said, I got to stop the interview here. Not actually stopping it, but uh, the process and say there's this question that won't go away. And until I ask it, I can't move on to anything else. What is the significance, importance, or the unimportance of the fact, and it's been, I was taught this in grade school and high school biology, that every human being who has, is, or ever will be started out as a female. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I That's a new one for me. I'll have to do a little research around that. Um, you know, I think that that the this idea that we have to be in competition with each other is a, it's a lie and it's not helpful. And that is actually part of the work is to learn how to drop the challenge of needing to oversee or become better than. Um, and, and sometimes, particularly, I know for myself as a woman, we've been trained as from a very young age to somehow believe that we're not enough. When, when you have a society that primarily endorses and works through the masculine lens, it's, it's tough to feel like you're enough if you're not part of that club. And so many women spend many, many years trying to be better, to be move through that 
place of not enoughness. And, and you know, it's not a challenge that is, that's just for women. A lot of men also come up sometimes against this sense of being inadequate or not enough. And it's so important for us to treat that with compassion, to make space for us to find ways to come together, to feel into our own power, and to, to be willing to do the inner work that it takes to, to put on that sense of sovereignty for ourselves, to dive into where is our thinking off? Where does our mental sovereignty need adjusting? You know, do we have holdovers, leftovers, messages from our spiritual early upbringing that might be keeping us from being our best self and we need to address our spiritual sovereignty? Have we had sexual wounds? Have we had terrible sexual experiences that need to be addressed so that we can, we can, really embrace the beauty of our sexuality and our sexual life and our as a sexual beings and not feel shame and guilt around that part of our lives all of these areas they're 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 incredibly important for creating a life that is full of meaning and that then allows us to be a positive influence for others and people don't always get this that why is why is inner work so important why is that going to help the outer world well we impact each other you know when my nervous system is out of whack and i'm in a, a a vagal response where where i'm activated I'm going to come into a room and create havoc in that room and create chaos in that room. But if I'm really settled and I'm in a place of deep interconnection and open for connection with others, I can come into a room and bring that whole room into a place of coherence. And so this this is really essentially why we have to show up to the work because we're constantly moving in and out of each other's energy fields and like ping pong balls. And if we're bringing more love, more groundedness, more centeredness, more connection into the space, then we are a force for good on the planet as opposed to being filled with fear or being disheveled on the inside, being incongruent and incoherent in our energy, then we just generate more, more of what we don't want. Do there are you, you actually alluded to this uh, and my mind is going in three different directions at the same time here. Um, you alluded to the fact that even and I'll, I'll put it in this context, even the patriarchal model is destructive to men. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly to women, obviously it's it's destructive. And I have never ever in my entire, I'm 62, I've never understood in my entire life how two human beings, one male, one female, doing exactly the same job are paid differently. I have never, ever understood that. I, I must be stupid or I have a brain aneurysm or something because I just don't get how that is even possible, even in a patriarchal society. Well, there was a time when it was believed that it was the male role to earn the money in the family. And so there was this idea that if a woman was working, it was bonus. It was extra. 
And so she didn't need the same amount of pay. But of course, we know there are a lot of women who are heads of household. And we have a lot of women who might have their partner, if, if they have a partner, who might not be able to work. I mean, it just, the, the logic of that, as you said, make, it doesn't make any sense in our modern times anymore. But we still have these holdovers around this idea. And, and here's how it affects men so, so deeply. From the time they're young boys, just like women are conditioned, boys are also conditioned. They're conditioned to believe that their feelings are, are somehow not manly, that they're not allowed to have uh, certain feelings, that they can't express sorrow, they can't have tears. You know, tears are a biological medicine that when we cry, we actually help our nervous systems reset. And we teach our boys that somehow that's not for them. And so they lose access to a very important way of uh, settling themselves so that they can be happier in the world. And we put all kinds of stress uh, on on our children, whether they're they're girls or boys, to be a certain way, and and we've done this by having very narrowly defined gender roles, which of course are being shaken up right now. And there are a lot of people that are scared by this idea. Like, how, what is this whole business with pronouns? And how can people just decide they're not this or they're not that? Well, gender and gender as a as an identity is actually a fiction. It's completely made up by society. Sex, on the other hand, your physical body, you know, that's that you're born in a particular way. And people have a way of, of connecting to that or not connecting to that. And so it makes sense that you, there are other cultures who've had as many as five different genders in history, if you go back and look at that. Sometimes you have women that have a very feminine essence. Sometimes you have women that have a much more masculine essence. The same is true with men. You have men that have masculine essence and men that have feminine essence. And look at the way that men who have a, a feminine essence are treated in this country. Oh. Not very well. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they are treated so poorly. And a lot of times women that have a masculine essence are not understood either. And so we We've, we've limited the the way that we allow people to be for no good reason and and so I guess the 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 place that I'm, I'm wanting to come to with this is the recognition again what I said earlier that when we're truly sitting in our authentic sovereignty and we've connected deeply with our soul and our higher self and we're living from that place we don't have to our sovereignty isn't at war with anybody else's sovereignty. We feel confident in who we are. We feel safe in our own skin. We become the source of our own safety. So we don't run around trying to get the rest of the world to behave a certain way just so that we can feel good about ourselves and that we can feel safe. And that's my invitation to people is to step up into the work of taking responsibility for finding that source of safety within yourself. And it allows you to have so much more freedom and be in a place of compassion and connection with people rather than being in competition all the time. 
Let me ask you uh, uh, some questions in regards to some some specific issues. What are your thoughts in the context here of the seven queendoms and what we've been talking about? Uh, your thoughts on chauvinism, opening the door for a woman, uh, doing those kinds of things that I was taught as a boy growing up, watching my father, that I still do for my partner today because I love her, not because it's expected of me. Because yeah, that's a, such a great question, Richard, because chauvinism is not opening the door for a woman. Um, chauvinism is believing that a woman is less capable simply because she's in a female body. Oh. And, and it's having a negative attitude towards her simply because she is not a man. And um, what you're suggesting, uh, is a kindness. It's a. It's a. It's an offer of respect. Yeah, I used and, the wrong word, by the way. I should have used the word chivalry. Yeah, that, chivalry. That's the other word. So, so many here again. What I help women understand is how important it is to receive. That we our superpower is actually receiving. In fact, when you look at the creation of life, no life gets created till a woman receives. And most of us as women have, we're very bad at receiving because the world doesn't operate in, you know, um, the, the receiving is a feminine action. And when we look at the world and it prefers masculine action, who wants to be the receiver? We want to be the doer. We want to be the giver. And we're, we've sort of been trained that we need to care about others before we care about ourselves. But in truth, we're missing the boat here that it is through receiving that we actually provide a space for there to be a gift. And I had a very powerful experience of this after I had gotten through, uh, I'd done a, a very long 10-day retreat with my master energy teacher, Linda Cesara, and I was deeply in my feminine body. And this was like a game changer for me. I was one of those, you know, gung-ho, get it done women who, you know, I'm very proud of all the things I'd created, but I was also freaking exhausted and it, I was I, I didn't know how to get off that merry-go-round so this was part of my work was I was learning how to embrace my feminine energy and get off that merry-go-round and come into my body all the way so I was in this very soft luscious juicy feminine place and I'm flying home and I'm listening to music to help me stay in this place and I take my little suitcase onto the plane and I put my purse down and I turn around to pick up my bag and put it in the overhead bin and it's not there. And I look up and it's already in the bin because the gentleman across from me had picked it up and put it in the bin. I was in such a feminine receptive place that he felt compelled to serve me in this way. And when I turned to look at him, I watched him get this suddenly fearful look on his face like, oh my gosh, oh no, what's she going to say? Is she going to cut my head off for doing this? And instead, I just looked at him and smiled and I said, thank you so much. That was so kind of you. And his face just lit up. And I had this visceral experience of noticing how all the years I'd spent saying, no, thank you. I can do that. No, thank you. I got it. No, I don't need that. Stop that. I can do it. That I had actually stopped men from having the gift of being received. Of course, I can open my own door. 
And, you know, of course that can happen. But if someone wants to show me that kindness, just like I would hold the door for the person behind me, why not be willing to receive that? Mm. And if I'm in my own power and in my own sovereignty, I don't need to see that as somehow a dig that I'm incapable of opening the door. Of course I can open the door. Instead, I can receive that as a sign of respect and kindness and a gift that the masculine energy is designed to serve the feminine energy and if we will allow it we will have a lot fewer power struggles in our in our life and in our relationships and so all this work has changed completely the relationship I have with my husband all the things we used to argue about the power struggles we used to get into we have so much more relationship harmony now that we've actually asked the question what was it we used to argue about? Because now we have a cadence and a way of giving and receiving that makes more sense, that's more uh, tuned in, where I get to receive and be filled, he gets to give, and then I get to receive out of this, a uh, give to him from this place of overflow. And, it, you know, it's it takes some getting used to making these changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, but I, I teach the women that work with me how to be good receivers. And in the act of receiving, we become well-nourished and well-supplied and well-resourced so then, then we can also give. RimaBonaris.com is the website. Rima Bonaris, our guest here on the program, talking about the seven queendoms on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I want to ask you another question, and maybe this is, this this was where I was going with this one, because, again, I used the, the, the incorrect word, um, so now I'm going to put it in this context. There, the chauvinism is the same thing as what's being called in the modern days toxic masculinity. Uh, so we don't need a new phrase, toxic masculinity. Just go ahead and use the word that's always been there, chauvinism. Um, because uh, that seems to be the case in some instances. I mean, I do for my wife because I want to, for one. And I don't do for her if she asks me not to, even though I still want to. But I will always verbalize. And if you need my help, please just let me know. And I'll sit there and I'll continue to watch TV and what have you. But I always make sure that she knows that I am I'm available if she needs. Yes, I've opened a few jars for her over the years. This is true. But I also there are certain tasks that I, I really don't want her to do. We have cats and a dog. I don't have her clean up over after either of them. Uh, not because I don't think she can. I just I don't know. Maybe it's. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a overly uh, a sensitized um, uh, idea that, you know, she shouldn't be messing with this stuff, even though she had dogs before I ever came along. And I'm sure she did take care of them, too. And it's just kind oh, of right. where I'm at. So, Richard, I just want to acknowledge you for that. And I just want to say that I think that is a beautiful gift to give to your wife as a way of you demonstrating your love for her. To say this, you know, this yucky thing over here, I'm going to be the one to do that. And, uh, you know, I love you and, and you don't. And this is a gift that I want to give you. And and I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And 
we need to we need to sort those things out in our in our relationships and and play to our strengths you know I don't lift anything heavy in my house anymore I used to try and do that stuff because I I was I mean I was superwoman I, I didn't need anybody's help I'm gonna tell you that not needing help is a is actually a trauma response being uncomfortable with receiving help comes from growing up in a world that tells you that somehow that's weakness we all need help at times and being able to be comfortable receiving help asking for help is an important skill set that shows that you know where your limits are mm -hmm. and you know i used to try to bang giant suitcases down the stairs and I don't do any of that anymore. I, I instead, I'll put my suitcase at the top of the stairs and I'll say, honey, my bag's at the top of the stairs. Would you please bring that down when you have a minute? And he absolutely loves being invited to serve me in that way. Mm -hmm. And there are other things I'm really great at. When 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 there's a some certain kind of task that needs to be done that involves doing a lot of negotiation or, or something maybe might be considered unpleasant with having to get a refund or something, he says, hey, Rima, here, here you go. This is for you to handle. And I'm delighted and happy to do that because that's something that's in my wheelhouse mm -hmm. that I'm very good at doing and it's it's easy to do and when we look when we want to create loving relationships with each other we seek to find the places where we get to play to our strengths and where everybody gets to do the things that really have them feel appreciated and um, loved and nurtured and supported and so it's it's just been a game changer for mm -hmm. us for me to stop trying to be a better man than the men. <laughs> Women can we can never be better men than men, but we can be better women. And it's that's a very powerful it sounds like something trite, but it's a very powerful thing to learn to so much embrace the unique power that you have as a woman to really lean into that and and be that version of yourself it 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 makes life or it has made my life and for many of my students so much more fun and enjoyable and then the polarization between and now we're talking about heterosexual couples here but this actually works for same-sex couples because they also have masculine and feminine energy right. just like Every couple does. Yeah. And so it's just this interplay between the masculine and the feminine, and it's super sexy and fun, and it creates playfulness, and, and it allows for that polarity to be there so that we don't end up in roommate territory, right, where all the all the electricity has gone out of the relationship because we're in this sort of sameness. and. We don't allow for there to be mystery. We don't allow for there to be opportunities for us to serve one another, for chivalry to be part of the experience. Not because I'm a damsel in distress. Let me tell you something about the goddess. She doesn't need anybody worshiping her. She is full of power and strength and can, you know, blow with gale force winds. I mean, she's got it all in there. She allows herself to be worshiped because it's good for the worshiper. 
And this was a profound understanding for me when I learned to mm. receive something that's being given when a man is offering me a kindness that way. When I receive it, that's me giving him a gift of being acknowledged and being received. Everybody likes to have their gifts received. Nobody enjoys it when you give someone a gift and they bat it away and say, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. And we all need to become better at at receiving from each other. If, if everybody's always trying to give and nobody is paused and receiving, then no amount of giving will ever be enough because well, we will never feel received. There is a universal law of exchange and you can't have a giver if there is no receiver and vice versa. And uh, so when somebody offers to help you, don't respond with, ah, I don't want your charity. It's not their, it's not charity. It's they are genuinely wanting to help you out. I, I you know, I, I've never quite understood that other than the fact that they've been taught uh, 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 a prideful lesson somewhere in their childhood and they've carried well, it forward into adulthood. There's one area where I have to have a little caveat here in the conversation. Okay. This is where things get subtle because sometimes we've all had that experience where someone wanted to give something to us and we could tell there were strings attached, right? Mm -hmm. That it wasn't, it wasn't coming cleanly and we didn't want to be in a scenario where we were going to have that sort of pulling of those strings on us. So we do need to know that we can have our holy no. And we and we definitely, when we're talking about certain areas where consent needs to be acknowledged, people need to ask. They don't just get to touch or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, all of that is, we're not talking about that. That's completely a separate thing here. So when it's not a scenario like that where someone's trying to force something on us that doesn't feel right, I think it is a powerful exercise to, as you say, be in this power of energetic exchange. Nothing gets done in nature without an exchange. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if we're constantly rebuffing kindness, we, we might be doing that because we actually don't believe we're worthy of that kindness. And that's a, that's a piece of work that every one of us can step into is knowing our own value and worth and that we are worth being treated well. We are worth being treated with kindness, men and women, and, and really creating these loving dynamics with each other. I want to ask you one other question here in this uh, kind of along these same lines. Uh, this has to do with the um, uh, the concepts of what you've just described, uh, specifically in a relationship, whether you want to use the term chivalry or what have you. And then the issue of sovereignty. Every human being um, is a sovereign individual that uh, can make their own choices, can do their own things, can go their own way, that uh, no other person... Uh, has the right to control that person. And in a relationship, uh, opposite or same sex, doesn't matter, those individuals, you and your husband, I and my wife, we are, all four of us, we are individuals with sovereignty. We have the right of self-determination. And balancing that with the other aspects of the relationship because there are especially in the case of uh, uh, many men 
uh, who are who very who feel threatened if a woman um, wants to exercise her personal power, her, her personal sovereignty to go out and I don't get an education, get another job, uh, take an exercise class, whatever it is that she wants to do for her. And some men, oh, no, 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 you don't do that. You, you can do that here. We'll get you exercise. You know, I don't want you running around and da-da-da. And then there are women on that other that path, too, who don't want men to go off and do their own thing uh, separate from them other than their work, eight hours a day, five days a week, come home at 5.30, dinner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, for example, uh, uh, the guy, you know, he's got a beautiful voice, wants to join this choral group. They meet at 7 o'clock on a, on a Monday night, and he wants to wants to, to participate because they got a neat performance around the holidays he'd like to be a part of, or uh, whatever it is, okay? Or he needs, he can't go to the barber uh, during, the, uh, during his work day, so he's got to go in the evening to get his beard trimmed, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and yes, there are going to be women who are going to wonder, well, what, uh, is he got somebody on the side? Is he fooling around? Uh, what is, is he gambling? Is, is he going out drinking? And in other words, the suspicions just go, they go nuts. And so the other partner wants to control them and keep them, you know, reined in. And uh, maybe those are the extremes, but let's add, let's talk a little bit about those and I don't want to call them uh, uh, um, diametrically opposed or anything because they're not, those dynamics. Can we talk about those two dynamics uh, in the context of uh, the, the male-female relationship in particular, or let me put it another way, the masculine-feminine energies relationship? How about that? Well, the examples you quoted or you offered, I mean, they're not examples of a healthy connection. When, when we have healthy trust and healthy connection, there's space, you know, there's space for people to uh, go out on and do what needs to be done or have experiences that are separate from the partner. That's a way that you draw energy into the relationship. In a closed system, things get stagnant. You know, a pond that doesn't have a path for water to move out becomes stagnant. So, so, you know, that, that level of extreme control is simply not sustainable for, for a healthy relationship. And, and so when, when we're, you know, I, I, when we're talking about building a relationship where there's a foundation of, of sovereignty, where both people feel sovereign, there's mutual trust and respect. There's mutual vulnerability in the relationship. And if you don't have mutual vulnerability and one person in the relationship begins to get on the healing path, sometimes the relationship ends up dissolving. Sometimes the other person gets invited in and is inspired to do their own healing work. And that's the most beautiful you know, way that we can see that dynamic falling out. When someone realizes this is not healthy, I, they, maybe they watch a show or they listen to a program like yours or they read a book and they realize there's another way here. And it's not okay. It's not okay for someone to try to control me and manipulate me and uh, tell me that I have to live in a particular way under, under their thumb. And, and hopefully they're able to do that healing work and get free from those kinds of, of relationships because they're they're definitely not 
not healthy mm. any more so than it would be to have a relationship where someone never wants to be at home and never wants to do things together that would also be uh, not healthy for a relationship mm. Rima Bonaris is my guest here on the, the program this program is called Tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Rima, I want to thank you for uh, spending so much time with us here on the program, sharing with us. There's still so much that we could talk about because uh, th there's just, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And, and uh, you have filled this particular um, uh, this particular volume uh, with your own uh, inspirational poetry, gorgeous artwork, and illuminating insights. It's called The Seven queendoms and it offers a new way to connect you to sexy feminine and wise woman whom you might have just uh, you uh, might have lost sight of uh, and uh, it also gives you the tools to shed any shackles uh, shackles roles or limitations that have kept you uh, suppressed uh, or um, let anyone else suppress you. And again, that's another area that we've started to sort of get into in terms of some of the old roles, and I call them old roles from the standpoint that uh, I, I use the example of the front end of the program, I think, of Valentine's Day, for example. And we're supposed to do something. And it's like every year you're supposed to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like eventually, well, I can't, I, 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 I can't buy out the, 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 the Coliseum in L.A. to, to have 100,000 people in there cheering my wife and telling her that I love her and uh, all over again and have a renewal of our, I can't do that. It's, it's too much. And it seems like uh, for men specifically, because I know women, they, they try to do the same thing. And it's like it's out of control in terms of a lot of these stereotypes uh, that are, would you say, are doing damage to both men and women? Well, I think in that case of what you're describing around Valentine's Day is that there are these sort of expectations that someone else has placed on us from outside. And sovereignty is free of that. So sometimes in relationships we have a whole bunch of agreements that nobody agreed to right mm -hmm. and so for you you know valentine's day doesn't doesn't work for you you would rather be 365 days of valentine's day and not have one particular day where there's all this pressure and so in that case you're just gonna talk with your beloved and say hey you know let's make our own way of how we want to do this and you get agreement together and then you're freed you're completely freed from that external idea that somebody else made up whereas another couple might decide they love valentine's day they love doing these fun little things and it's really beautiful for them and it's a great celebration of their love great wonderful have at it and what we're seeking here i think when we talk about sovereignty that's motivated from the authentic self is there's room for every way that we want to show up inside the relationship we just simply be in communication and coordination with our partner and and there's no need for these extravagant gestures if they're not something that works 
for the two of you. And sometimes we might, as women, want to say to our partner, listen, it would be nice if once a year you did some kind of gallant or extravagant gesture just to let me know that you care about me because that would be fun for me. And if you get enrolled that way and that feels good to you and, and you can find ideas that it becomes something fun, then you get to have fun with it. But we really shouldn't put the kind of pressure that um, the commercialized industry puts on. I mean, you know, the way these kids have to invite their people to proms or with the whole, you know, even proposals, like it really should be up to the individuals as to how that they, they feel they want to participate in yeah. these things. I, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, th that's kind of why there are such a wide and diverse, uh, group of people on the planet. Eight billion of us, ladies and gentlemen. And guess what? There ain't two that are like. Even identical twins are not alike. There are distinct differences uh, that would take a while to figure out, probably, between the two of them. But nonetheless, every human being is, uh, and I say this uh, non-pejoratively, every single human being is like a snowflake, okay? <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's, it's just been a pleasure to, to chat with you, and I hope that we can uh, do this again and continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Richard. I would love that. I think it's very important to continue talking about these things. I do have three final questions for you uh, that I ask all of my guests before we wrap up. Before we do, I need to let you know that I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We are also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We hope you will subscribe to both the podcasts and videocasts so that every time a new interview is posted, you will be notified and you can then tune into that particular podcast. And then uh, we would also ask that if you can participate in the decade of perfect vision the 2020s and go within and listen to that still small voice and find that, find that guidance uh, that um, we all uh, need and uh, can uh, really, uh, I can't do without it, I'll be honest with you. I've been practicing it for so many years that now it's like I, I depend on it. Uh, and, and that's a good thing from my standpoint. We also ask if you can help us out financially to support this program. We have a PayPal account and it's there for your security as well as ours. And with those questions or those comments made, we now move to the final three questions to our guest. And our first of those three questions is, who is Rima Benario? Um. She is a lover of life and someone that is very passionate about building a world that works for all. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Mm, well, my deepest desire is that we could create a, a more loving planet, more loving place for, for all of us and a, a healthier relationship with nature as well. Mm. That's another subject that we didn't get a chance to get into. We will have to do that on our next program together. And finally, what is your life's purpose? 
my life's purpose is to support, to have my life be an example and an inspiration to others and to support them in creating their lives in a way that they get to be their very best self in the world. Well, Rima Bonario, I thank you again for joining us here on the program. Um, hats off to your uh, husband as well uh, because uh, of what you've shared with us. Uh, it is all obviously a part of what the two of you are all about. And uh, I congratulate you on that. And uh, uh, I, I look forward to others trying to find the same in their own relationships. Thank you so much, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We will uh, join you again next time. And until then, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.